Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and if I was a YA main character, the subplot that would be unfolding in the background of my life right now would be an appreciation for bugs? Because I don't have that. Um, I'm Caitlin, and if I was a YA main character, the subplot that would be unfolding in the background of my life right now would have something to do with getting lost in a place that I don't know very well. It'd be all about not liking to drive and anxiety. <laughs> um, I'm Kristen. If I were a YA main character, the subplot that would be happening in the background of my life would be that all of my friends are finding romance. It's a good thing. It's a happy thing. I've been to a lot of weddings. It's been very exciting. Yeah, very interesting subplot. I, I would read that. I do frequently. So, um, Hi, I'm Lizelle, and if I were a YA main character, the subplot in the background of my life would be me frantically trying to keep up with my reading goals. Yeah, I, ma I made promises to myself to keep up with all the new releases coming out because they're all my like debut class, mostly, and that's meant like a lot of quick reading. I read three books in the last four days in order to catch up. <laughs> and I have eight books, eight new releases to read this month. So uh, yeah. <laughs> what's your, you don't have to name names, but what's your ratio of like to dislike? Or do you just like all of them because you're a supportive debut group member? <laughs> well, I like all of them because I like all the authors and I support all of them. But like the ones where I've been like, yeah, this is like, definitely a favorite of the year where it's been like ah maybe this wasn't for me has been like pretty good it changes from month to month but I've had like a great time like May was quite good so I'm excited for June because June has a lot of my very most anticipated ones oh good good well a huge welcome to Lizelle Sanbury the debut author of Blood Like Magic Lizelle we're so excited to have you on the show would you tell us a bit about your book yeah, for sure. So uh, Blood Like Magic is about a family of black witches living in a near future Toronto, and in particular 16 year old Boya Thomas, who's given the impossible task of either killing her first love or losing her family's magic forever. Ooh, that's an excellent pitch and so condensed. I'm always impressed. Yeah. Like all of our guests on the show know how to summarize their book and I love it. Yeah, I've gotten used to it, but also because I do the YouTube channel, I'm like frequently like, oh yeah, I have this book and then I have to do it really fast. So that helps. It's such a fun book. I got to read it just because I always go uh, bug publicists to let me read all the books of people who are coming on the podcast. And it's such a fun book. It's my favorite kind where there's a lot of meat to it. And so I just, I love that we're talking about subplots because it's such a good job with that. Thank you so much. Well, let's dive into today's discussion then. Like, Caitlin, like Caitlin spoiled, the power of subplots is what we're talking about today. So to start us off, why subplots? Can't everything be straightforward and neatly packaged like good elevator pitches? So for me, it's kind of interesting because when I was writing books, I didn't really know subplots were a thing and I was not really doing them. Uh, and then I started edits with my agent on Blood Like Magic and she was like, oh, I noticed you don't have any subplots and me on the phone not wanting wanting to like impress this new agent that I've gotten. I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And in my head, I was like, I have no idea what these are. 
absolutely no idea. So I got off the call with her and then I Googled them and I was like, oh, I was like those little side quest things. And then I realized like how much more than that it is. And I feel like subplots just add so much more depth to your story, especially if you have a longer story. Um, it can really kind of draw the reader throughout and it can help a lot I found with the muddy middle so if you're struggling with the middle of a book like a subplot can be the perfect secret sauce for it. I love that description because it's true that you're building tension towards a climactic you know that here's the a plot which is going to come to fruition in like the last third of the book but subplots really do draw a reader forward it adds tension and it actually makes uh like the big moments at the end like usually have more like oomph to it because there's a bunch of stuff all coming together at once instead I'm playing a lot sorry That's I'm nice. really curious about um how you approached adding subplots in like what what did you look for where did you start if with with your agent anyway did um did your agent have something in mind or just sort of tell you to beef up various aspects uh, she didn't mention anything in mine, possibly because I pretended like I knew what was happening. <laughs> so she didn't really need to at that point. But for me, I kind of I started definitely with the B story. Um, so the romance in the book, um, because that's its own built in subplot. Um, and then from there, I kind of picked out events in the book that I already had that I hadn't quite made proper subplots. So like there's a fashion show in the book, which I put in because fashion show and I thought it would be fun, <laughs> but it didn't have as much purpose. And so that I adapted. So it was like a proper subplot. Um, and then some things just kind of came out naturally, like a mystery element came out naturally. Um, and then, yeah, just like I had some half formed things that I could tell would make potentially good subplots because they were opportunities for the main character to kind of develop the skills that she needs in the final act and so those ended up becoming subplots but it was kind of like a bit trial and error in the beginning, beginning because I was listing out a bunch of things that I thought could maybe work and then fleshing them out from there. I love what you said about um, the subplots directly adding to your character's capacity to do what she needed to do in the end of the book because I feel like that's what a really great subplot does is it's not a side quest that feels like it doesn't have anything else to do with the rest of the book so how do you feel like like you mentioned in all of these that there are things that were already there were like missed opportunities that you wanted to flesh out a little bit so how did you engineer them so that they did bring everything back to mean something in the end rather than having it be an extra thing that's distracting. Yeah, I think of subplots like it's a thing that if it's a side quest and you can just pull it out at any time, then to me it's not a good subplot because it's not doing anything. You're just distracting people from the main story. To me, the subplot is the steps towards the final goal and each step is to help your main character be able to do something um, so that was really what I tried to think about so those little mini plots I kind of was like okay what is she going to learn from this experience and how is what she's going to learn here going to affect how things go forward so in that fashion show I created a kind of conflict um, where her cousins are kind of arguing over her doing this task and how each one of them 
is potentially benefiting from it. Um, you know, one cousin being very much like, this is horrible and why are you pressuring her to murder someone? <laughs> and another cousin being very much like, okay, but some of us really need our magic and it's really important to us. And in that case, what happens is she becomes aware of these divisions within her family and becomes aware of the fact that maybe she doesn't agree with the fact that she is being pressured. Whereas before in the book, she had kind of readily accepted that. So then that's like the little step forward. And she's kind of coming into her own of being like, well, is it okay that I'm kind of being forced into this? And so that's kind of where I went with every subplot I listed out. Sometimes they were more like plot focused, like you need to find this out to do this later in which case the step was very obvious in that way. But a lot of the time it was like emotional growth. I really like that. What you said about using the the B story or the subplots to work in her interactions with her family, kind of her intro, introspective reflection. Um, I always kind of think of subplots as like the way of mixing the everyday with the epic because we, we kind of get to understand our character when she's doing or he is doing everyday things and when they're fighting bad guys and things it's really epic and we do see good character come through there but you know it's it's kind of like under pressure people are going to perform differently so i love what you said she got it got to see her family's different decisions and kind of think through it herself tv shows have a lot more leeway to do this i feel because they can have filler episodes you know where the crew just bonds but in books what are some places we can look for to slip those opportunities in what, what's the strategy and you mentioned you went back and rewrote those in, but are there any tips for, for newer writers doing that straight from the beginning? Yeah, for sure. Um, the B story is a really great spot um, to grab that. So, you know, your character will have either like a love interest or a friend or a, I'm trying to think of like a mentor. There we go. That's the word I'm thinking of. I was thinking like of like a master, like a martial arts master. And I'm like, that's not the word that I want. <laughs> it is close. <laughs> Uh, but like a mentor, someone who is helping them realize what they are internally trying to achieve. So separate to their external goal, what they actually need to learn. And that's the person that's helping them realize that in a positive character arc. And so I always think that that's like the main source of where I go to for a subplot, because it's like, okay, this relationship because there's an easy goal, because they have to learn this thing, and you can kind of go from there. Other subplots, mysteries, I always like to put in because I love twists, even though I write fantasy. I don't know why I'm obsessed with them, <laughs> but mysteries are always great. And then you have actionable steps because they have to find clues to solve the mystery. And then whatever they solve from the mystery is going to ladder up to what the bigger plot is. So those are kind of big ones I look for. Um, and that I would say to kind of start off with and see how that goes. I think it's kind of better to start with less subplots and add more over time. Uh, I think if you start with too many, then you get my problem and you end up with a 500 page book. <laughs> <laughs> We can all sympathize. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a really good point. Um, just I, I love that you got really good at doing what you didn't understand at the beginning. You know, putting in subplots. You got so good at it that now you have a five hundred page book. 
Um, and I know it's always comforting to other writers to hear because it just means the first draft doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting, you know, and often the first draft doesn't do the heavy lifting. Um, we can go back and, and rewrite and, and change it and put in things on second look. So all these things we talk about, subplots, everything else, isn't something you have to do on the first draft. Yes. I wanted to bring up um, age group and genre too with this, because I feel like some stories um, read better when they're just more straightforward and then others, like you're expecting all of the, the side plots or like I just finished reading Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson, which is like more than 400,000 words and like just carrying it around gave me carpal tunnel syndrome. And <laughs> I um, like the, the things that would be subplots in any other story are like full plots with like a whole book that goes with each one for him but that's because he writes for adults who are okay I guess I mean all the people who read him are okay with like that complicated of a book because their attention spans are a lot larger whereas with YA we spend a whole lot of time threading things back in so that you can come to one climactic moment or if it's a series like building slowly up to like the third book whereas with middle grade I mean those stories tend to be significantly simpler because uh, the attention span of the reader isn't going to to follow through and like make all the connections that they need to. Be I, I think you can still have a middle grade that has a lot of um, subplots, but I think they tend just to be smaller and less word count. Because like I'm thinking of when you trap a tiger, mm-hmm. and I can think of a bunch of subplots or things I would consider subplots within that book. But it's a short book. Um, so I, I think I was absolutely thinking of that book too right? we were talking about oh, this. yes that's because that book is excellent and everyone should okay. read it but yeah there, there are a lot of subplots in that but you just don't get to allocate the same amount of word count or or time to them yeah the amount of detail and like fullness to them doesn't need to be the same like there's a subplot with her sister mm-hmm. where there are literally like maybe two scenes in the whole thing that are dedicated to it and it's a scene where the character is doing something else at the same time there's not a lot of time or or a word count dedicated to it but it's there yeah for sure I can totally see that I don't read a lot of middle grade but like I do usually notice there's not as many subplots but that's also an interesting technique of still having a lot of subplots but they're just like resolved faster which is interesting yeah and I find in contemporary there's tends to be not as much in contemporary again I also don't read a lot of contemporary but I do find that there's more of a focus on a few specific subplots whereas like fantasy and sci-fi run amok they're less linear (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) amok is exactly the right word for for speculative fiction absolutely Lizelle so just because I'm always curious about um people's different outlining techniques. What What is yours? Do you spreadsheet? Do you paper and pen it? And particularly when it comes to outlining second drafts or putting in those subplots, what kind of techniques do you use? Uh, so I use the Save the Cat beat sheet to outline my books. Um, now I've kind of like really ironed out a specific regimented uh, way that I go about it. Um, but I use those beats and I basically use the fun and game section to organize all of my subplots. I do plot very rigorous, rigorously now. Um, I didn't always do that. And then I would have issues and I would have to rewrite things and do things over again. And so now I'm very like 
on top of it. But usually what I do is I fill out the fun and game section, which is like a big chunk of like the first, the beginning of the second act to like the middle. Um, and I fill that up with the beginnings of subplots. Um, so I basically list out whatever I think is going to be a good subplot. I sublist what needs to happen in there and what the goal is and how it ladders up to the main plot, just so I know that going in. And then I do a very wonky <laughs> just plug-in of chapters and I'm like, maybe this can go here, maybe this can go here, and I kind of play with it and see how it works. That's the more chaotic part of my process, but what I do try and do is make sure that I wrap up roughly half of the subplots by the midpoint, um, or at least most of them I try hard to because I just find that if I'm trying to wrap up too many towards the end, it feels rushed and it feels like overwhelming and it gets to be a lot. Um, so it's easier if I kind of figure out how to wrap up things around that midpoint. Yeah, and uh, some very specific things I do, like I try and do ups and downs. So not all subplots turn out well for them, but also not all subplots turn out good for them. Um, if they have a good beginning of the second act, um, then by the midpoint I make it bad. <laughs> and if they have a bad one, then by the midpoint I like trick them into thinking it's good and then I make it bad again. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's basically the process. I've gotten very like regimented about being like, okay, these are the subplots I'm going to have um, because I know that it's easier for me to plan them ahead of time. Um, and put them in than it is for me to write it and then try and figure out how to add ones in later. I try not to add things in. I'm just a natural overwriter and so all my stories are going to be long so it's better if I just err on the side of caution. <laughs> well that's great. Thanks for showing a little bit about your process. That's all the time we have for this portion of the podcast. Did anybody have any final thoughts before we move on? All right, now we'll move on to the portion of the podcast where we critique an audience submission. If you'd like to check out the text of this submission and see all of our notes on it, check our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can also find our submission guidelines there. So a quick summary of this week's chapter. After interacting with a strange man no one else seems to notice, Ducky, our hero, flees inside, but when night falls, inside might not be so safe after all. Ooh. What are some things we like? I was really intrigued by what was happening pretty much right off the bat because it was a different sort of image, um, the whole like having confetti thrown on you. And so that was immediately like, oh, okay, this is like kind of interesting. I'm interested to see where this goes. I really liked the antique shop sort of setting that we were introduced to. I always think that's fun, like quirky settings with like little detailed objects and that sort of thing. Um, and I liked that it was voicey. Like I felt like the voice jumped out at me for sure. I'll agree with that. I really loved the details of this, this downtown area and how like all the shops are interconnected and our main character's aunt runs the, the antique shop, but she knows the people at the shop next door. And it just, it felt like a, a fleshed out world. Like, like these were people that the main character had interacted with and knew about. And I enjoyed that. My favorite one was the 
the, it hadn't yet opened yet spooky floral shop in quotes which I was like <laughs> I, I want to know what makes it spooky <laughs> <laughs> I also really loved uh, at the beginning it says um, a ghost and a and duck and a duck walk into a bar or something like that which I loved the setting of the tone it's something I want to talk about a little bit later about that line but um it's just a really really funny allowing us to like see a whole lot about this character before we even start I think um I also love the the set in 2000 and all of like the Buffy and like the Game Boy details that was fun I'm old and so I recognize all of that. <laughs> the decades part changing. of me part of me was wondering if I mean because it's labeled as an adult book I was wondering if there's going to be a time jump but I enjoyed it too new adults I wonder if I messed oh. that up but um, well, that's maybe probably there is no time now. Probably a good point to transition. What are some things that might need a second look? Uh, yeah, that was something I was curious about the adult placing, um, because the main character who I understood to kind of be a teenager, um, the voice actually felt really middle grade to me. So I was kind of surprised about the age category and wondering about that choice and. Um, I know sometimes definitely there are adult books that have teenage protagonists, but like the voiciness in combination with the language really felt like middle grade to me. So I was curious about that. I had a similar reaction to it. Another thing that I, I wondered about a little bit is about like, well, maybe I'll just go back to the joke at the beginning. So we don't actually find out that the name, the main character's nickname is Ducky until like pages and pages in so by the time we got there I had forgotten that the joke was a thing and I had forgot like I, I actually felt like there was a lot of a lack of details about the main character beginning so I wasn't even sure who we were dealing with like I didn't know if the main character is a boy girl um or gender fluid or like I didn't know what age they were. There were a lot of things where I was just like, I'm not sure where this person fits into this situation. I know that this person is young because they go back to like get protection from the adult as soon as the weird guy starts throwing glitter on them. But that was about it. What did you guys think about that? I agree. And I, I wonder if it probably maybe ties into this next comment. There were a few places I felt like we got information after we needed it. For instance, the man who's throwing confetti on her, we don't get a description of him until Ducky is inside describing him to her aunt. Um, and that was just kind of a detail I would have, I think I liked, liked a little bit earlier. There were actually a couple of times where um, there's like this dissonance between what the protagonist is actively thinking and what it seems like the writer wanted us to know which is an interesting line to walk. And I think it's something that you can pull off, but this particular piece is written in third limited, I think. So kind of manifests as the character holding back key details for no reason, or like not realizing that they're right in front of them, but the reader picks up on them being there. For example, um, like the red haired man's behavior is really odd and other people seem not to be able to see him and his dialogue is actually like in italics and so the reader as, as a reader I was like oh something really weird is going on here and it's not that he's throwing confetti there's something really weird going on here but the character themselves was like not picking up on it at all but I was getting it through the POV of this character so I didn't know how I could be picking up on stuff that they weren't. Um, on a really small technical note, I just want to say that the italics 
threw me off a lot because I, at first I thought he was quoting something. And then I was, I, I, I know it's a really small thing to, to get stuck on. So, so I think in terms of opening chapter, you, you never want to make things like too stupid, but you want to be able to make things accessible for your slower readers. Like me, I'm a slow reader. And so <laughs> I think Caitlin and Aaliyah and, and maybe Lizelle as well picked up that, that the ghost from that first paragraph is this man, this man is a ghost. But with the red hair and the gold confetti and the lilting brogue, I was convinced that I was reading about a leprechaun. Actually, I was too. <laughs> so, I was like, yes. <laughs> I, I was convinced it was a leprechaun. And it wasn't until I was looking at the comments, I was like, oh, he's a ghost. So um, I just think a, a general rule for opening chapters is you want to make sure that your average reader is, is reaching the conclusions you want them to be reaching. Because similarly, I, I'm not even positive that Ducky is actually our main character's name uh, because the only person that says it is her aunt. And um, and I know that Ducky can sometimes be like a, like a nickname. So I'm not even sure about that. So just be really careful about what details you want readers to, to be feeling positive about. Leprechaun is so interesting. I think because of that opening of the duck and the ghost, I just assumed, but I also had that thing of kind of wondering the information the main character knows, who I assumed was a girl because, probably because I am a girl. <laughs> um, but I did kind of wonder because I was like, okay, if this is a ghost that they're seeing, why now? And if this is something that happens to them all the time, you think they might kind of be more used to having an interaction with someone that nobody else seems to be having the same interaction with um, or kind of like that might be more commonplace for them um, and so I was curious about okay if this isn't something that happens all the time then why is this happening now and like would have been great to kind of get a hint of that um, but yeah and also I think about Ducky in general like I think you both Kristen and Leah have brought up like how much we actually know about this character and like I also wanted to know I was like what is the goal like what are the goals of the character um I don't think your character needs to have like a super hard fast goal in the beginning but it's really helpful to know kind of what they're striving for or kind of what's important to them or what's like a hint of the inciting incident or the danger to come um and it felt very like slice of life to me and that I couldn't tell where the story was going to feel propelled to continue you know beyond the first chapter which i think especially when you're like querying and that sort of thing that's what you want right like you want to push the agent to ask for more pages or to read further and i really miss that in here and thought that would be great to have yeah I, was, oh sorry, that's our time say, final thoughts okay my final thought would be that we do know details about ducky but unless her her buffy preferences are going to be important they're probably the wrong things um like i don't think we need to know how she feels about harmony or faith or dawn or any of the characters that they mention so so just switching the details that we know could be really helpful yeah and and consciously choosing the scenes that um are being shown to us so that they move towards something rather than just being like was also it's a slice of life where I wasn't really sure why we were watching her sit and read books on a couch or watch Buffy or read a book that her friend recommended to her I, I wasn't sure where it was leading at all 
Yeah, it felt a bit like she was experiencing spooky things, but I wasn't sure where the spooky things were going to go. Yeah. That's our time for today. To this author, thanks for submitting. We enjoyed reading your work. And Lizelle, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great to talk with you. Thanks for having me. Listeners, be sure to check out the links in our podcast notes to find out both more about LaSalle and to get Blood Like Magic, which will be coming out June 15th, so definitely go check that out. Our next guest will be Lori M. Lee, the author of the Gates of Thread and Stone series and the Shamanborn series. If you'd like a critique from Lori, submit your chapter by June 10th. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Blitz service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.